friends are my power. So how's it going, my heartlesses and nobodies? Welcome back to Nerd Explosion, the weekly podcast, or based on a monthly theme, I nerd out, but whatever I want. As always, I am your host, Cameron. Now, I apologize if I sound a little tired. I totally forgot to record this episode, like, the week, because usually I record these episodes, like, Thursdays, you know, before the Saturdays that they come out, or Wednesdays even, but I totally forgot to record this week because I just, I just had a really just a really weird week, so I'm recording this late the day of, so if there are any mistakes in this whole episode, I do apologize. But, anyway, what are we talking about today? Well, if my cats will stop brawling with each other, I'm talking to you, Mochi. You. You. Knock off your nonsense. I'll put you in the toilet. Anyway, (laughs) what are we talking about this episode? I decided that I want the internet to hate me, so I am making, I made a tier list of all the different Kingdom Hearts games. Now, the last two episodes, I went through, like, the story summaries, just to be like, hey, if you're new to the series, you know, this is the chronological, you know, timeline of events from, you know, because it starts with, like, Key Unchained, uh, goes up to, you know, Union Cross, and then goes on to, like, Birth by Sleep, and then the first Kingdom Hearts, and then everything. So I basically went over the story summaries, but... I want to do an episode where I just, you know, I personally talk about the games, like how I actually feel about them, and yeah, I just put them in a, I put them in a tier list. Now, I didn't have every single game for this, because I guess Tier Maker is, you know, a bunch of dirty bitches, so, so I had the games pulled up here, and I'm like, you know what, I'm just gonna go through each of them, I'm just gonna talk about how I feel about them, but before we get into all that, new episodes of this podcast come out every Saturday, so make sure you, you know, follow, you know, do all the things that do all the stuff. But with that being said, let's get a little personal and talk about how I feel about each of the Kingdom Hearts games. Alright, so I guess let's do this. So let's start with uh, the first Kingdom Hearts games. Now, keep in mind, I will mention when each of these games originally came out, but most of these games, you know, a majority of these games, I have only experienced through the uh, the 1.5 and 2.5 remakes, the one that came out in 2017. But I will go through and, you know, state when each game came out. So let's start with, you know, the first game, Kingdom Hearts. Came out in 2002 for the PlayStation 2. It was the first of the series, you know, actual role-playing, hack and slash. Introduced everyone to the, the complicated world of Kingdom Hearts. You know, we got introduced to Sora and everything. And it was just it was just the beginning of everything. Um, where would I put it? Now, here's where the trouble lies. I put it at C. Now, my reasoning is because, you know, it's a great game, it's a great start to the series, but also, it does unfortunately suffer from first game syndrome, which, what I mean by that is that, you know, there's always the first game in the series that's not as strong, but that's only because they're, like, you know, 
they're trying something new. They're doing something new that later installments would improve on. So I'm not faulting Kingdom Hearts for that at all. It's just, you know, it's their own thing. Um, I remember first, actually, Kingdom, the first Kingdom Hearts was the first one I played. I never owned it, but there was a, uh, there was a little girl that my sister used to babysit and she liked video games. And it was actually this little girl who brought over Kingdom Hearts and I guess she also saw that I, you know, I was a gamer, so she had me help her. So essentially, I babysat this little girl too with a sister, and she had me help her out with Kingdom Hearts. And I will say the uh, the remix of Kingdom Hearts is definitely, you know, it's definitely better than the original, at least graphically. Um, the The main things, the main issues I have with the first Kingdom Hearts is how slow Sora is. You know, like, you know, playing later games in the series and then going back to that, just how slow Sora is. And, but, I no, I put it at a fair C because, you know, while it's not the best in the series, it is still, you know, the one that started it all, you know, who my sister told me apparently I just lost the game. Oh, you, you, apparently I just lost the game and you all did too. So... <laughs> Yeah, anyway, uh, the first Kingdom Hearts I put out a C. Moving on, Kingdom Hearts Chain of Memories. Now, this originally came out in the Game Boy Advance in 2004, and this is actually the only Kingdom Hearts games I ever had growing up. I was, like, I've been a big fan of Kingdom Hearts, you know, for a while, but the only one I owned growing up was the Game Boy version of Chain of Memories. And I remember really liking it. Like, it was really, it was really impressive for, uh, you know, the Game Boy Advance. Now, they did do a, uh, the re-chain of memories, which is basically they took, because Japan exclusively had, like, the 3D version of it, which we got as re-chain of memories, which was basically the Japanese version of it, but redubbed with the original English voice actors. Uh, but yeah, growing up, I guess, to put it fairly, I... Now, where did I put it on this list? I put it at a B, only because, you know, I love, I have a lot of love for the Game Boy version more than the 3D version, because I tried playing the 3D version again, and I was just like, mm, I don't know. Something about it, like, there's a, there was a certain charm to the Game Boy version that I just, I just really liked, you know? But, Chain of Memories, now, if you guys don't remember the Chain of, or the story of Chain of Memories, you know, go back to my previous episodes, but basically, after the events of the first Kingdom Hearts, Sora, Donald, and Goofy are trying to find Ritu and Teen Mickey. They stumble into Castle Oblivion, which is run by Organization 13, and they're using Namine to steal Sora's memories. And the more in he goes, the more he forgets. And eventually, Namine is just like, oh yeah, you know, Organization 13 made me steal your memories. Go to this pod and sleep. So, basically, everything, all the events in this game, Sora will not remember, you know, moving on. So... But I put it in a fair B because, you know, it's not my personal, like, top favorite. <clears throat> God, excuse me, I need some coffee. This is the, the downside of recording these episodes, like, the day of. But, you know, uh, Chain of Memories, it's, you know, definitely a great game. I, I guess I put it at a B because I was just not prepared for, like, the sun shift in uh, gameplay. And... Actually, there's a, a tethered, blah, 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 if I can speak, 
there is a uh, YouTuber by the name of Ted Icarus who put, who did a bunch of reviews of Kingdom Hearts, and he actually stressed the importance of, you know, Kingdom Hearts. While it is important to the story, it's not, it can't be considered Kingdom Hearts 2, even though it came out after the first one, because if it was Kingdom Hearts 2, then that would mean that that is how the gameplay is going to be going forward, and that's totally not the case. Kingdom Hearts does this a lot, where they, like, they'll release a game on a different console with a different gameplay style, and, you know, as later installments go on, they kind of mix a bunch of stuff together. But, anyway, I forgot to mention what the gameplay was. You guys are probably like, what the hell is he talking about? Uh, Chain of Memories does, like, a card-based thing. Like, you have a bunch of cards in your deck, and you can either use them individually, or you can save, like, three at a time to use a slight or a different move, like Sign Dash or, uh, uh, what's it doing? Arc, Arcanum or something like that. But yeah, the whole card base thing, I, it threw me off because I'm so used to the first Kingdom Hearts. But, you know, Chain of Memories, I still love because it's, it's the only one I owned growing up. So I put it at a fair B, even though it's, you know, it's not my favorite, but it's my, my first, my first real experience with Kingdom Hearts. Moving on, we got Kingdom Hearts 2, which also came out on the PS2. As, you know, a sequel to Kingdom Hearts. Actually, before we get to that, let's talk about 358 over two days. Because, you know, 358 over two days takes place before Kingdom Hearts 2, essentially. Because in 358 over two days, we, we focus on uh, Roxas. Now, if you guys don't remember from my story summary, in the first Kingdom Hearts, there's a part where Sora decides to save Kyrie, you know, give Kyrie her heart back. Because it's trapped inside Sora. So he sacrifices himself, you know, freeing his heart and Tyree's. Tyree becomes whole, but then Sora becomes a heartless. But Tyree somehow is able to restore him. But since Sora did that, became a heartless, you know, in the Kingdom Hearts universe, if you're, you know, you give up your heart or whatever, you create a heartless and a nobody. So the thing with 358 over two days is that Sora's nobody took the form of Roxas. So in three, 358 for two days, you know, Roxas goes on these missions, bonds with Axel and Shion. Uh, eventually some stuff happens and they find out about Sora. Shion's just like, well, I'm just a puppet. I need you to kill me, basically. And then Roxas is like, oh, well, I need to find Sora. And they're eventually like, no, yo, you're, you know too much. We're going to put you in this virtual world and erase all your memories. And that leads into Kingdom Hearts 2. But <clears throat> Kingdom Hearts 358 for two days, I believe came out on the uh, Nintendo DS or the 3DS in 2009. And uh, where did I rank it? Where did I rank it? I put it at A because, okay, I didn't have this game growing up, so I didn't actually get to play the game. But because of the, uh, in the 1.5 remix, they have all of it, like, together, like, as a movie. So, like, all the missions that you would normally play are done through text bubbles, which... I will say I didn't really pay much attention to because, you know, I hate having to read <laughs> stories. But, you know, from the cutscenes, like, even though I literally just watched the watched the game, basically, instead of played it, uh, the story I absolutely love. I love, you know, the whole bonding between uh, Roxas, Axel, and Shion. I will say uh, Axel is actually my favorite character, or Lee, later in the, in the games. But... I just love, like, the friendship between them, like, the emotional thing with Xion being like, oh, well, I'm just a puppet, you know, I need to, you know, I want to 
not be alive anymore. I just, you know, that whole emotional thing. There is one part, I will say, that kind of ruined the moment. So it's after you fight Xion, and there's a whole thing with Xion looking at Roxas being like, you need to free him. And then, you know, at this point, Roxas doesn't remember anything. And then all of a sudden, like, uh, Xion says something and, like, jots his memory. And he's like, ah, Xion. Like, as she's dying, he's like, Xion, who else will I have ice cream with? Like, dude, dude, you kind of killed the moment. But, uh, anyway, let me move on with this list. Uh, 358 over two days, I put an A. Now let's go back to Kingdom Hearts 2. Uh, actually, so, what's the weird thing? Uh, the weird thing? 358 over two days, like, the story takes place at the same time as Chain of Memories. Because in 358 over two days, members of Organization 13 are going to Castle Oblivion, where Sora currently is. You know, that, that, that's the thing. But, 358 over two days came out in 2009. Kingdom Hearts 2 came out in 2005. So, there's a whole chunk of story that's missing, you know, from Kingdom Hearts 2 that we wouldn't get until four years later. Kind of weird how they did that, but, yeah, anyway. Uh, God, excuse me. Kingdom Hearts 2. Let me get some more coffee and then I'll tell you how I feel. <clears throat> Kingdom Hearts 2. S tier. For sure. S tier. I really liked it more than uh, the first Kingdom Hearts. Now, oh, so going back to the first Kingdom Hearts, you know, they had, they have, you know, have all your Disney worlds or whatever, and, you know, all the different worlds or whatever, and I thought they were great, but not, like, the strongest in the series. Like, in the first Kingdom Hearts, uh, one of the worlds is Neverland, but you never really go to Neverland. You just explore around Captain Hood's ship, and then you get to fly around uh, Big Ben, which I will admit is really cool, but there's this, it's very limited on space. And I will say the worst world in the first Kingdom Hearts is the Tarzan world, Deep Jungle. Because while it is visually impressive, it's just, you know, the the whole thing with the world is you're constantly, oh, I got to go to the bottom of the jungle. Now I got to go to the top. Now the bottom. And there's no easy way to do it. But going back to Kingdom Hearts 2, they kind of fixed that. And they kind of stepped up, um, you know, the world building. I will say my favorite world in uh, Kingdom Hearts 2 definitely has to be... Oh, uh, God, I'm trying to remember the worlds now. Oh, one of them is definitely uh, Timeless River, which is a world based off of, like, the original Mickey Mouse cartoons, like, you know, Steamboat Willie and all that. Um, another one of my favorites is uh, the Pride Lands, which is, you know, based off of Lion King, because, because Sora turns into a lion. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, Sora turns into a lion, uh, Donald Duck turns into a, you know, some type of bird, I think he's like a parrot or whatever, and Goofy turns into a turtle. The worst goddamn world in Kingdom Hearts 2 is Atlantica, the Little Mermaid world, because instead of, you know, your normal, like, oh, let's go, you know, fight Heartless and everything, the whole world is music-based, so... You just press buttons along with, you know, a certain song. And there's a couple of original songs in there, but some of them are, like, from, like, legitimately from Little Mermaid, like, uh, Part of Your World and Under the Sea. But, oh my But anyway, why I really like uh, Kingdom Hearts 2 is just that it stepped up its game from the original. 
you know, Sora's a lot older now. He's a lot more powerful now because, you know, he has special clothes that can let him do, like, limit forms. Um, so most of those limit forms didn't let you use two Keyblades, mostly because, you know, you have the heart of Roxas in you, who also, Roxas has, like, Shion's heart in him. So, Roxas was able to wield two Keyblades, and since uh, Roxas's heart is within Sora, Sora is able to access that power, too. But Kingdom Hearts 2, I put an S rank because I just, I loved everything about it. I loved, like, the whole story behind it. And, like, and the funny thing is, is, like, with, with Sora in that, like, we obviously learned a lot about Organization 13. You know, we learned there's a lot more to them than just being the evil bad guys. But Kingdom Hearts 2, Sora does not know this. He just, you know, he goes on a spirit because he's like, oh, they're evil. They need to be stopped. Um, it's in this game, you also find out about, uh, Xehanort as well, and you got the main villain, uh, Xemnas, so Xehanort, he, you know, when he went, his Heartless and nobody, uh, split into, you know, took the form of his Heartless became Ansem, who you fought in the first game, and his nobody became Xemnas, who is the leader of Organization 13 and the, and the final boss you fight in this game. I will say I love I loved Xemnas in this game. I actually put a clip in uh, the last episode I did where um, it's like halfway through the final boss fight with Xemnas, and you like you do, you deal with like the first phase of his fight, and there's a part where he's just, like sitting there and he's like, "I need more hearts, I need more rage," and then Sora's just like. Xemnas, there's more to a heart than just rage. There's all kinds of feelings. Don't you remember? And Xemnas is like, Unfortunately, I don't. I just, I loved his voice. I just, he's like, like this quintessential voice for a bad guy in the Kingdom Hearts universe where he's just like, Darkness and light and light and darkness and blah, 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 blah. But... Uh, Kingdom Hearts 2, I put at S rank. I absolutely love It's probably my top favorite Kingdom Hearts games of all time. Just because, you know, I love how each world was done. It just, you know, it really stepped it up from uh, Kingdom Hearts 2. Or Kingdom, the first Kingdom Hearts. And, you know, I really I really liked it. Alright, now let's move on. Uh, we got Kingdom Hearts Toted, which came out in 2008. Now, Kingdom Hearts Toted... Definitely not the strongest in this whole, in this whole, you know, series. Uh, Kingdom Hearts Coded originally was a mobile game, if I remember right. But again, I never experienced it when it came out. So I watched all the cutscenes in the 1.5 remix. Because it kind of did the same thing that they did with 358 over two days. Where most of the, like, the gameplay, they switched over to like, text so, you know, there were little blurbs where you had to read text. But at least, to give Coded credit, at least the text things were narrated by Mickey. Because the whole story with uh, Coded is that after the events of Kingdom Hearts 2, uh, Mickey and uh, Jiminy Cricket, who was with you throughout, you know, all the games so far, just kind of writing down everything that's happened. Uh, Mickey and Jiminy were trying to archive everything that Jiminy wrote down. But they found a... I think the whole journal was blank except for like a thing that said thank nominee and then a message that said they're hurting their hurting will end 
their hurting will be mended when you return to end it. So they're trying to figure out what the hell's going on with the journal. So, you know, they create a data version of it along with the data Sora to go through all the data worlds and fix everything. And the first, the first chunk of coded is not interesting because it's literally just Sora be like, Oh, go to this world, fight these bugs, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, Actually, it doesn't really get interesting until, like, the last third of it. So, there's a part where Sora, like, kind of goes again through, uh, through, through, uh, Tesla Oblivion. Sorry, I'm trying to remember everything. Um, he goes through Tesla Oblivion again, and then he gets Namine. And uh, Data Namine actually reminds Data Sora of all the hearts that are connected to his. Like, um, you know, she shows him... Roxas, Axel, Shion, uh, you know, a bunch of different people like Riku, Kyrie, and then, as a teaser, because we're not supposed to know them at this point, she shows them three more people that are connected to him somehow, who we know as Aqua, Terra, and Ventus from Birth by Sleep, which is weird because, you know, this came out in 2008, Birth by Sleep didn't come out until 2010, so we weren't supposed to know about Aqua, Ventus, and Terra at this point. So, it's just, you know, kind of a teaser for uh, Birth by Sleep, I guess. But, uh, where did I put Coded? Where did I put Coded? Unlocked phone? Yeah, I put it at a D. Because, you know, like I said, it's just, it's not the strongest. And it the story doesn't really get interesting to like, the last third of it. So, uh, definitely not the strongest in the series. But, you know, it's still Kingdom Hearts, you know? So, moving on now. Now that we talked about Birth by Sleep, let's talk about Birth by Sleep. Uh, Birth by Sleep, I'm actually currently replaying right now because I just, you know, I wanted to get through. Actually, no, not replaying. I am playing through right now because, like, I know of the story. I've seen cutscenes and stuff, but I wanted to actually play it because I, like, I was stuck on this one part for, like, the longest time. And I was just like, oh, this game sucks. I hate it. But, no, Birth by Sleep is actually kind of one of my favorites right now. Um, Birth with Sleep, you play, you actually play as three different people. There's three different campaigns. You have Terra, you have Aqua, and Ventus. Uh, the whole story basically is that, uh, Aqua and Terra are doing their Mark and Mastery exam, and Xehanor and Ericus are overlooking it because they used to be buddies. But, you know, strange things happen because Xehanor showed up. All of a sudden, you know, darkness appears, and then he just disappears. So, uh, Terra is tasked with trying to find uh, Xehanort, Ventus is, you know, basically he's stuck behind, but he's also going after Terra, and eventually he has to deal with Xehanort, you know, trying to use him to create the X-Blade, as I call it, and Aqua is basically there to, like, you know, clean up the whole mess. So, uh, Birth with Sleep, I actually really, really love this one. I put it at A, because Aqua is actually one of my favorite characters besides Sora, I just, I love, like, the bond between Aqua, Terra, and Ventus. You know, you just see a lot of similarities between uh, them and, like, Sora, Ritu, and Kairi. Actually, a thing in Birth by Sleep that I really love is there's a part in, well, you first see this in uh, Terra's playthrough. There's a part where he shows up on uh, Destiny Islands, and you actually see, like, a very young Ritu and Sora, like, as little little boys. And there's an interaction between Terra and Riku, where Terra essentially bequeaths his T-Blade to uh, Riku, 
you know, so that Ritu can become a Keyblade Master someday. So that, you know, explains everything and shows that, you know, shows evidence that Sora was not the original Keyblade, you know, original chosen by the Keyblade. It was actually Ritu, but because Ritu fell into darkness, that's how Sora got the Keyblade because, you know, he basically got it by default. But yeah, Ritu was actually the original chosen. And what happened with Sora is that actually Aqua shows up later and thinks about giving his, you know, giving her Keyblade to Sora. But she's like, you know, I don't want to ruin your friendship by, you know, giving you this power. So, you know, you guys just look out for each other, blah, 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 blah. Um, Aqua actually accidentally bequeaths her Keyblade, you know, passes on her, her Keyblade wielder, you know, essence to Kyrie because at one point she shows up in Raining Durns where a very young Kyrie is and Kyrie hiding from the Unverse which are you know the enemies in this not the Heartless uh Kyrie hides behind Aqua and grabs the handle of the Keyblade which I guess is a way for like the soul or their hearts to connect to the Keyblade and that just you know puts Kyrie on the path to become a Keyblade wielder later in life but anyway I'm rambling, so what did I think of, what was it, Birth by Sleep? Yeah, I put it at A. I love, I love Birth by Sleep, and I will continue to replay it as long as I can. Um, I'm actually going to go, like, in-depth with my playthrough I have right now. <laughs> I Literally, in my playthrough right now, I just got past Master Ericus, who took me a couple times. Like, he killed me a bunch, all because I was a yacht, so I was like, ah, Mark Hamill, calm down. <laughs> That's another thing. That's another thing why I love Birth by Sleep. Uh, Master Ericus, you know, obviously is their, their Keyblade Master in this. Voiced by Mark motherfucking Hamill. God, oh my god. And um, actually, Xehanort in this is voiced by Leonard Nimoy. He's in this. Uh, also, another thing I love, you know, you did see Xehanort. You did see his whole thing. Um, you know, see him take over Terra's body. Who Terra, you know, Terra Xehanort eventually, you know, is defeated by Aqua. But as he falls into the darkness, Terra's or Aqua's like, no, I don't want Terra to fall into the darkness. So she dives in after Terra, you know, throws his body back to the light or Terra Xehanort at this point because you know Xehanort is completely taking control over Terra over Terra because he needs a new vessel. Aqua sacrifices herself to the darkness to help out Terra, so Aqua becomes trapped in the realm of darkness. Uh, Terra Xehanort actually loses his memories of self, is found by Ansem the Wise, and it starts calling himself uh, Ansem, because he has no memory. No, he calls himself Xehanort, because he doesn't know that he's actually Terra, or whatever. So, uh, there's a whole thing. Uh, go back to my story summary if you really want to get in-depth with it. But, yeah, Birth by Sleep, I put it A, because it's a really good game. I definitely recommend it. Um, next, 2012, we have Kingdom Hearts Dream Drop Distance, which came out on 3DS. So, in this one, uh, Yen Sid, who is basically the big master for everyone in all these games, decides that, you know, Xehanort's really going to start some shit. So, he proposes... That Sora and Ritu start their their mark of mastery exam, which unlike you know the the exam that Aqua and Terra had in Birth by Sleep, it's not as easy because literally they just had a duel and they're like, oh, 
Aqua, you're master now. But in Dream Drop Distance, how Sora and Riku have to do this uh, mark of mastery exam is they have to go to seven uh, sleeping worlds, which were worlds that were taken over by the darkness, but never woke up, if that makes any sense. Again, go back to my story summaries, you know, the previous episode if you want to hear that explanation. But basically, they go to these seven worlds and try to, you know, wake them up, essentially. And what happens in this is they're, you know, you got young Xehanort, you got a younger Xehanort running around, you know, not Terra Xehanort, but a younger version of Xehanort running around. And essentially what happens is that they kind of trick Sora. Like they've been, they've been tracking him the whole game. They trick Sora into, into coming to their world because they're trying to use Sora to become a 13th vessel for Xehanort because Xehanort is rebuilding Organization 13 after Sora defeated them all in Kingdom Hearts 2. And he's basically replacing all of Kingdom Hearts or all of Organization 13 with copies of himself. So you got him, you know, him as an old man, you got younger Xandor, and then you got both Ansem and Xemnas, you know, from previous games. Uh, but the whole thing with Dream Drop Distance is that, you know, obviously there's the drop aspect. So what really what the story is, is that um, Sora is diving into, you know, these these worlds or whatever. But Riku is diving into Sora's dreams of the world. So they're essentially going to the same worlds, but in different ways, you know. Um, but the whole drop aspect is that, you know, you play a level, you play a world for a while and then there's a counter that goes down. And once it hits zero, all of a sudden you drop or whatever and you switch to Riku because you play as both Sora and Riku. But anyway, how did I rank this game? Here on my phone. I put it at an A. It's it's really good. I kind of wish I would have experienced it on the 3DS when it originally came out. But I, again, I didn't get to play it until the uh, the 2.5 remix. Or no, it's not in the 2.5 remix. It's in the 2.8 final prologue. Which, you know, it's, um, you know, it's, it's great. It's like if you play it on uh, the 2.8 final prologue, you can definitely tell it was built with the 3DS in mind because there are certain moves you can do that, like, you have to use a touchpad on the PS4 controller for. So it was definitely done with the uh, the 3DS in mind. But I'll definitely put it at A because, you know, <laughs> it's, a, it's a really fun experience. The story is really fun. And also, like, with the whole... Uh, ah, I forget what it's called, but you're able to, like dodge it to a wall, and then you'd hop off it, fly around, do a bunch of moves, spin around poles. Like, you feel really powerful in this game, at least until you did the Xemnas and he kills you 27 times. I don't know. Some people just have that problem. <laughs> but the gameplay in Dream Drop Distance was actually just really fun. I actually really, really liked it, so I definitely recommend it. Um, I should mention, too, with all these games, um, if you have PlayStation Plus and you have, like, the premium thing where you can download games off their game catalog... You can get, you know, 1.5 plus 2.5 Remix, the 2.8 Final Prologue, and Kingdom Hearts 3, and Melody of Memory. They're all available right now on there, so definitely go check it out if you got a chance. Alright, moving on with this. Uh, what am I missing? So, actually, speaking of the 2.8 Final Prologue, there is a game in there, quotes, 
that, you know, that I actually have next on this list. It's uh, Birthplace Sleep, Fermentary Passage. So, basically, it's like a continuation of Birthplace Sleep, but it deals with Aqua going through the Realm of Darkness. So, you remember from Birthplace Sleep, Aqua got trapped in the Realm of Darkness. She tries to get back to the light, basically. So, Fermentary Passage kind of chronicles her journey through that, where she meets Mickey. Eventually, they get to uh, the door at the end of the first Kingdom Hearts, and Mickey goes to, or Mickey and Aqua are going to go to uh, close the door, but then Heartless attack, so Aqua kind of sacrifices herself, so Mickey didn't go help Riku close the door. Just remember in the end of the first Kingdom Hearts, uh, the door that Ansem wanted to open that he thought was Kingdom Hearts was actually the door to the Realm of Darkness, so Sora, Donald, and Goofy try to close it, uh, Riku and Mickey are on the other side closing it, and Mickey uses his keyblade with Sora using his on each side to you know, seal the door. So, in Fermentary Passage, we learned that Mickey was able to do that because Aqua sacrificed herself to do that. And we also, uh, there's also another thing in uh, Fermentary Passage. We learn about, you know, Ritu and Tyree, you know, Ritu and Tyree learn about Aqua's whole ordeal and all that stuff. And, <coughs> yeah, excuse me. I need more coffee. Ugh, my throat. Ugh. Oh my god, that's better. <clears throat> but Mickey tells Ritu and Tyree about the whole thing with Aqua. And Ritu was like, Oh, why didn't I help? And then Yensid is like, Because if you and Sora knew about it, you guys would do something stupid to try to save her. <laughs> it's it's basically what he said. But then Yensid tasks uh Ritu and Mickey to, you know, go fight Aqua, whereas Tyree, you know, now becoming a T-Blade wielder, is going to her and um, Lee, formerly Axel, because, you know, Lee's a whole person and he becomes a T-Blade wielder. He and, or Tyree and Lee go to train to, with their new T-Blades, basically to become T-Blade wielders, because, you know, they have to prepare for the battle that's about to ensue, the grand battle that's about to ensue. <clears throat> but... Where did I put Fremontary Passage? Uh, I put it at a, I put it at an A tier. Mm, French fry taters. Mm -hmm. God, my voice. Uh, that's better. But I put it at A tier because while the game is super short, it's it's really is it's really nice looking. Is it, this was actually released as like a teaser to get people prepared for Kingdom Hearts three because that. <clears throat> oh my god. What is with my throat today? But Fragmentary Passage was basically a teaser for Kingdom Hearts 3. It, like, it had the same graphical style, and it was like, hey, this is kind of what you're going to be playing. This is kind of what you're going to be doing, how you're going to be playing the game in Kingdom Hearts 3. So, you know, there's all that. But yeah, it was, it was really, it's a really short game, but uh, the story it provides is just. It's really, it's definitely important if you want to get through the whole, you know, timeline of events. Or if you just want to, you know, listen to somebody tell you instead of actually looking at it yourself. Go to my last two episodes where I talked about the whole the stories, you know, in chronological order. So, constantly plugging that. Moving on. Uh, last one, or actually, we got two more here to talk about. 
we have Kingdom Hearts. Actually, uh, when did I mention? So, uh, Firmatory Passage, I guess, came out with the 2.8 Final Prologue. So, that came out in 2017. Uh, Kingdom Hearts 3 came out in 2019. So, only a few years ago. Uh, Kingdom Hearts 3, I... Where did I put it? I put it at S tier. Because it's it's just... It's amazing. There's a lot of game to it. There's a lot of stuff to do. Uh, the story is amazing. It's like... The story in Kingdom Hearts 3 is basically... Everything, you know, everything is led up to this moment. This battle with Xehanort. I mean, the series is still far from over as far as story, but all the stuff with Xehanort and everything, all the shit he's done, you know, him pulling the strings from the start, him knowing about everything, it's all led up to, like, this game with, you know, the final, the, the battle between the 13 darknesses and the seven guardians of light. It's just everything is led up to this, and, um... Just the worlds, the worlds in Kingdom Hearts 3 are amazing, especially, you know, with the graphical upgrade. I will say, one of my favorite worlds in Kingdom Hearts 3 is Twilight Town. You know, it's the first, one of the first worlds you visit, but I just, I just love Twilight Town in this game. Uh, Twilight Town was first introduced in, like, Kingdom Hearts, or 358 over two days, because that's where Roxas is based out of, and that's where Roxas ends up, you know, in, you know, Kingdom Hearts 2. Which, I don't know if I mentioned this about Kingdom Hearts 2, but, like, the whole Roxas thing in the beginning of Kingdom Hearts 2, you basically, you spend the first three hours of the game as Roxas. I mean, I'm not really complaining that much, but, um, anyway, what was I saying? Oh, yeah, Twilight Town and Kingdom Hearts 3. I loved Twilight Town and Kingdom Hearts 3. It was actually really populated, just hearing that familiar music in the end. It's just, excuse me. It's just, it was really a really great world to visit. Uh, all the worlds I absolutely loved in this game. I loved, I loved the Tangled World. Frozen was kind of eh. That's like the only the only bad thing I could say about Kingdom Hearts three is the Frozen World Arendelle, because most of the world you play as you know it consists of going to the top of the mountain. Oh no, something happens. Now you're at the bottom. Now go all the way back up. Oh, something happened. Now you gotta go all the way back up again. You go up the mountain like three or four times. It's just it's, the world is pretty, but it's very repetitive, but I still put it at S tier because it's just, it's, oh my god, it's, it's so goddamn gorgeous, especially, uh, San Francisco, the, uh, Big Hero 6 world, oh my god, it's just, it's amazing, and I love in this game with, uh, Olympus, the Hercules world, now you've visited Olympus, like, many, many times throughout the Kingdom Hearts games, but this is the only Olympus that I was just, like, blown away by. Because in other games, you're like, oh, you go to the Colosseum. Uh, Kingdom Hearts 2, you go to the Colosseum. But you can also go to the Underworld, uh, Birth by Sleep. Oh, you can visit this little patch of the city outside the Colosseum. But Kingdom Hearts 3, you basically explored all of Olympus. Like, Thebes, the whole city, and you'd have to go outside Mount Olympus, in Mount Olympus, in the realm of the gods. It's just, ah, mind-blowing. But Kingdom Hearts 3 is, is so goddamn amazing. I absolutely love it. Again, if you have PlayStation Plus, you can play it for free right now. So download it, play it, you know, play all the games, actually. Replay all the games. It's I know it's, you know, the plot is really complicated, but 
I definitely recommend just giving all the Kingdom Hearts games a shot. And like I said, if you get confused about the whole plot, series of events, you can go back and listen to my episodes. You can look it up on YouTube. You know, there are people that could probably explain it a lot better than I can. There is actually a video I recommend by Barry Kramer. He do... <coughs> ah, excuse me. Uh, Barry Kramer. He does, I think the video is called A Good Enough Summary of Kingdom Hearts. And he just, he's very entertaining. and But he goes over like, you know, pretty important stuff about Kingdom Hearts. Like the whole plot and everything. So definitely give that a, give that a watch. Uh, before I end this episode, we got one more game to talk about. And it's kind of a short one, but, you know, it's important to the story. Like every other stupid thing on here. <laughs> We got Melody of Memory. Now, how this differs is that this is actually like a music rhythm game. Uh, you essentially... So, at the end of Kingdom Hearts 3, uh, Sora kind of disappears to try to find... Uh, God, what happens with Sora? I forget what happens with Sora, but there's basically a thing where like he he disappears, basically. And at the end of Kingdom Hearts 3, there's a post-credits cutscene where everybody's like, oh, we gotta find Sora. Where I wonder where he went. Uh, Riku mentions something about his dreams. And, you know, he sees Sora in a city or whatever. So, <clears throat> while uh, at the same time as that, Kyrie is having her memories examined in uh, Ansem the Wise's laboratory to kind of figure out, or try to figure out, you know, another clue as to where Sora might be. So, Melody of Memory, essentially, you're playing through Kyrie's memories, which basically means you're doing rhythm games based around different Kingdom Hearts music from different worlds. So, you go through each series, and Kyrie, Kyrie kind of gives you a summary of events leading up to a thing where all of a sudden Kyrie finds herself in the final world, and Xehanort shows up, and, you know, she's like, oh, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna beat you because I'm a big Kyrie. Keyblade wielder now. But, essentially by being possessed by Sora, Kyrie is able to fend off Xehanort, or at least what we believe to be Xehanort. It's it's, I think it's more of just like an illusion of Xehanort that Kyrie is just imagining in this world. But, you know, they go, through, they go through all that. Now, a thing to keep in mind is that Ritu at this point has been, you know, trying to analyze his dreams, because he's like, oh, I saw Sora in this big city, blah, blah, blah. And, again, they're analyzing Kyrie to, uh, you know, scan her memories for clues on where Sora is. So she takes all the stuff that Xehanort has said about, like, a world between worlds, or, like, fictional worlds, and basically, she brings that information back to the lab, and Fairy Godmother shows up, and like, oh, with Rico's, dream Rico's dreams and... What Kyrie just said, we have more clues as to where Sora might be. We just need one more person. So they go back to the final world, talk to one of the stars that are there, the, the same one that uh, Sora talked to when he visited the final world in Kingdom Hearts 3. And basically, uh, they find out that the place that Sora might be in is a world called Quadratum, which we actually saw in uh, the Kingdom Hearts 4 trailer, which... If you haven't seen the Kingdom Hearts 4 trailer, it's basically uh, Sora wakes up in this world, wakes up in Quadratum with uh, Sterlexia from, like, Union Cross and all that. And basically, Riku finds out that, like, hey, it's a very high possibility that he's there. 
so he's able to use his power of waiting to open a portal into Quadranum. And, you know, that will lead us on to Kingdom Hearts 4, whatever happens with that. So, uh, Melody of Memory, I would put... Uh, I put it at an A. It's it's a pretty good game, but I'd... You know, it's, it's not my top favorite, but it definitely adds more context onto uh, Kingdom Hearts 3. It just, you know, has that extra context, whatever. Um, I didn't even mention the Remind DLC with Kingdom Hearts 3 because I haven't played it, but I know it involves uh, Yuzora, who is supposed to be a fictional character in the in the Toy Story World video game Verum Rex, but it's made to believe that Yuzora is actually, there's more to Yuzora than, you know, meets the eye. It seems like Yuzora is actually like somebody who had lost their heart or something like that. But, you know, I guess we won't find out more about that until Kingdom Hearts 4 comes out. But I think with that, that is going to be the end of this episode. I've had to redo a couple parts, just like I said, I did this like the day of, so, you know, forgive me for that. But, if you guys agree or disagree, or you just want to, you know, you want to be able to find a place to direct your pitchforks and torches, uh, let me know on social media, like, what you think, you know, what are your favorite Kingdom Hearts games, and, you know, I think next episode I'm actually going to do, I'm actually going to talk about what I expect for uh, Kingdom Hearts 4, what I think is going to happen, what I hope happens, you know, all that fun stuff. But, with that being said, I'm going to bring this episode to a close. I hope you guys uh, drink plenty of water out there. I hope you guys stay safe. You know, keep your heart free from darkness <laughs> and everything like that. I've been Cameron. And as always, I will see you guys in the next one. Nerd out. <laughs>